0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome this evening to uh, a bunch of old guys and one not quite as old guy talking about stuff that might be gear related or something else related. Bill said that if I do the intro, it sounds cool, so that's why you got it. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, hey Scott.
1: what's up with everybody else? We didn't introduce what's you happening? yet, but I'll say hey to you anyway. Yeah, right? Hey. Oh, hilarious so wait no that's what's the other intro thing about what this
0: is wait wait. oh yeah this is a thing that it could be a YouTube thing or a podcast thing or something thing but we talk about things that are usually music related but Probably not. And Bill will probably tell some story about something that's unrelated to music, but that's okay, too. Oh, no, absolutely. And Every also, time. Also, we have a special guest today, and I already said hi to him, but Bill, do you want to introduce our special guest?
1: Yeah, we'll introduce our special guest. So so as we've talked to other people, we've had people on the show and everything, the same name keeps coming up, and that is Quint Randall, um, who is uh, really responsible for pretty much all of this um at root so uh we decided
2: to have him on as a guest hello quint how you doing very good how are you all doing how are you bill and everybody we
0: wait wait, would you say quint is like the grandfather of this
2: Uh, uh, quint is what
0: I said, would you say he's like the grandfather of this? Because you said it all started oh, from him. So.
1: ouch. Yeah, because actually Clint is just slightly older than me. So um, I, I am not the oldest guy. I wasn't the oldest guy last week either, which was kind of cool because Riley's a few years older than me.
0: But I've always been the youngest.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, I'm not going to say the things I, that are going through my head right now because we are trying to keep this youth friendly. Although with one of those songs last week, we probably blew that, right?
3: <laughs> Probably, I can't even remember. Um, I mean, not we
1: played last time.
0: that's Phil, part you're of being to an give old Quint guy. An intro. You said, oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, right. As we forget stuff. All right, so um, uh, before we get into uh, Well, I'm gonna. This is just a real short intro. We're gonna like be talking to Quentin a bunch because he's had a really interesting uh, career in and out of music, but mostly uh, associated with different musical things over a really long period of time. Um, I met Quint, Lord in heaven, God, we are so old. Um, I met Quint probably in like 76. Something like that. Um, We played in uh, competing bands on the same top 40 circuit. Um, Yes. So we probably hated each other on some level. Uh, Oh, yes. And uh, yes, uh, I ended up uh, going to work for him at the original gig magazine. um, And in the, wow. The Bible. Yeah, every time we say gig magazine God says the Bible. Yeah, (laughs) right. That was. I swear uh, to God. I swear to God, it was the
3: Bible for so many people, man. Thank you. It was,
1: and, uh, it was awesome. Uh, so there we go. So we're going to talk to Quinn about a ton of different stuff, and, and Scott will say the Bible a lot um, today. <laughs> 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 uh, but we uh, we didn't tell you we're going to do this, but we do this with all our guests, and so you haven't even had time to prepare. So uh, and then tell us about the top three albums that you were listening to that made you go, oh yeah, this band thing is kind of what I want to do.
0: Hey, real quick, Bill, you remembered our questions. I totally spaced those today. Good job.
1: <laughs> I remembered, yeah. The last time you had to remember, okay I- <laughs> um,
2: ra- I, I'm going to change it a little bit because um, I'm going to say t- several things. First of all, um, basically based on the influence of my older brother's um, the Beatles, I don't know that I could name an album, you know, just because they all merged together, but it would be a combination of the Beatles, um, and then the early Eagles albums, um, you know, like, in fact, I dug that up recently, you know, what is that, uh, the song, um, you know, take it to the limit one more time, you know, or, or, uh, I, I keep, I'm my memory's going, but but that album, um, <laughs> old fifty. I think old fifty five was on that album. You know, uh, the, yeah, the on, on but, the border, the on the
1: border album. Right, that was actually that's one right. Of my that's favorite what I was looking at. when yeah. we did
2: this show. Yeah, that's what I was looking at. Um, and then and then the other thing I would say is is being in the back of my parents. You know, in the way way back in my parents' country, Squire. Now, I do have to add that my older brothers were musicians. My oldest brother was a musician and had a band. We had bands in our garage, you know, from the time I was seven, you know, or eight. Um, And so I always saw that. But the other piece of the puzzle was um, story songs, Um, even like Frida Payne's Band of Gold, um, uh, uh, Ringo, you know, by... uh, uh good old uh what's the actor's name? Ringo. Ringo. Come on. Help me out here. Oh. Lauren Green. Lauren I, Green. I, I, oh. I, I, <laughs> he did it. This was before my time. <laughs> yeah, it's way before your time. It so so the story songs, and this is like pre-Harry Chapin, you know, pre-7 just just prior to that pre. Era, you know, even the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby. There was something about story songs that just fascinated me, and so I would say those are the those are the things that kind of triggered. uh, Combined with watching my older brother, those were the things that triggered my interest in music. And we also, my parents, even though they were not musical, I found out years later that my my mother's brothers had a big band in salt lake city in the back in the 40s so unbeknownst to us there is some musical heritage uh in our family
1: that's really cool and you know, so, the funny thing is yeah. um when we did that whole sh- we did a whole show where we all talked about the albums and uh tim's number one was it near number one or number two i don't remember but it was one of the beatles uh, the the blue greatest hits not the red greatest hits
0: yeah but I only had the red greatest hits on vinyl so I used that as my example but yeah it was yeah, the blue. Right. <laughs> Yes, that was my, my number one I believe that's correct
1: and and uh, uh, On the Border was one of mine I mean what a great record I mean uh, I, th- I think all of us working that circuit learned or, or, or made an attempt to do Best of My Love um, and you know back then because it was such an enormous hit, and, and I I can say I learned how to sing vocal harmony from that record more than anything
2: else. I'm you and, and Tim, and I don't know about Scott, but I just, I do not read music. I took piano lessons, and it was actually a, a session player <clears throat> that my mother found who really just taught like chord theory, and I didn't even get that, and so, you know, I, I've never really I play with some really, really, like, really good musicians, like Nashville types, and people that are, and and I'm, like, way out of my league when it comes to, uh, you know, music theory, <clears throat> so...
0: I well, cord for, cord uh, cord for what it's worth, um, Bill turned me on to uh, the YouTube channel for Rick Beato. Uh, yeah, I'm shouting out yeah, some of right. popular here, and uh, I just I just bought his like digital version of his music theory book because the I'm trying yeah, to have... finally learn that stuff, right. and it's so over my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm ready to go back to not knowing anything. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's
0: yeah, I, I, I wish
2: I knew
3: I that know. stuff. That stuff's like Greek to me. <laughs> it is and like you like get to the
2: basics, but. I, I, <laughs> I I mean, granted, I can you know maybe look at a few notes, but to me, it's it's like so like four dimensional. um, I don't even understand how people look at music and read it and then translate it into performing. Uh, I, I
1: I can't read. Like, actual transcription, you know what I mean? Like, actual note. I mean, I can, but right. I I can't do it by sight, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, I, I know the theory and everything behind it, so I can yeah. figure it out if I have enough time, but I can't sit and sight read it. But right. I'm actually, I'm in the middle of starting a new uh, band and recording project that's called Bossa Nova, and I've uh, been going out of my mind for the last couple of months just playing this stuff over and over and over and over again and uh in fact i you know we talk about scores and i know quint is somebody who's dealt with pain in his arms and legs and everything i'm arms uh and i just got this for my this is my classical guitar i had this made when i was living in south america and uh it's really, you can maybe see from there, it's very, very deep. It's uh, uh-huh. four inches at the heel and four and a half inches at the foot. It's super deep. And this is what I've been playing, uh, and my shoulders ache. I mean, I can barely reach above my head because i right. <laughs> reaching around the guitar. So this puts it in the proper position. Like if you were a classical guitar player, you sit around here, and it, and it sits right. Oh. And, and it's... About a thousand times more comfortable to play in was 30 bucks on Amazon.
0: Well, you know, look- it's funny you say that because, uh, my, my dad was kind of the one who got me into playing and he was always a classical guitarist. I mean, that was my dad's thing. And uh, he's a little bit older than you guys. He's in his early seventies now, um, but he's got the shoulder problem too, where he can't play an acoustic for very long. And so he finally came he to me and ache. was like, he was like, I think I might want to try an electric. So me and my dad finally went electric guitar shopping. You know, I've been buying them for 30 years and he finally got interested. And so we did get him his first electric guitar. It's a, a thin line Gretsch. So it's a, uh, you know, still very acoustic. It's like a full hollow body, but uh, right. that's uh, that's what he's been playing because he can't get his arm around the classicals for a long period of time anymore. So, anyway, well, that's it, all it took for my funny. dad to decide to play uh, an electric.
2: I'm more like three-quarters of the, the bass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <B>. A <laughs> is A. I don't give right. a
3: shit about your c <laughs> <diminished 19, 30 laughs> Thank 1930 augmented flat... <laughs> Seventh chord. You can shove yeah. that where the sun don't shine.
1: <laughs> well, so, you know, uh, that is, we, we we talk about that. It's like there's no. You can't really say what the chord is until the bass player plays what the bass player is gonna play because that kind of determines it.
0: So on that note, quit uh, uh, why don't you tell us about how you got into music journalism? I'm just
1: yeah, I think Tim's trying to keep us on track. Keep
2: us? Yeah, that's your job. <laughs> it's it's, it's oh, pretty bad. sad when
0: I'm the one trying to keep us on track.
2: You see? Yeah, we, it's bad when you have four people with ADHD in the room. Um, I, yeah, right. If you want me to, if, <laughs> I'll answer that question. And I want to. Yeah, I want to keep you guys focused as well. Um, the way Gig Mag is, if I'll just kind of the way I ended up in music journalism, or or. Um, <laughs> the way Gig Magazine came about was a combination of of factors. The first thing that happened was I made a booklet on how to record um, with my brother, Guy, who has a recording studio in Utah, Rosewood Recording. And this was like when I was like, I don't even remember if I was um, 18 or 19 or 20. I, I don't remember. Um, but we made, I made this stupid little book and photocopied it like how to do, I, I think it was like how to do bounce recording, like how to bounce from cassette to cassette or something. And then we had like pictures of how to record microphones and I put an ad in like Circus Magazine and Cream Magazine <laughs> and, and sold a few of them. Um, but that kind of got my interest. So I had this interest before I actually got into uh, journalism, um, you know, and then I went ahead and, and got a degree in, in journalism and, and, you know, and then started looking at just having an entrepreneurial spirit. And I, you know, uh, just got some money together from my dad and my, my wife's uncle. Uh, and that led to some other financing from uh, a family friend, a guy named Wally Hunt, who helped uh, kind of seed the first, uh, second or third issues. My dad and my uncle kind of seeded the, the first issue. And, and then it just kind of took off from there. Um, I had a partner who... Uh, you know, Bill Evans, you may not even know this, you know, but I did have a partner early on and we parted ways and it was kind of a hard situation. It was I did kind not of know those, about that. It was a um, kind of a sweat equity thing where, you know, you felt like one person wasn't, um, you know, able, able to contribute the sweat equity necessary. And, you know, so I bought him out and it was kind of painful. Um, because he was a good friend, and, and actually, I still am in touch with him. Uh, we kind of reconciled a little bit, but, um, but yeah, so I don't want to take all the credit for it. Um, but but it, was, it came from, prior to that, I had written for my senior project in my journalism program. I wrote the book that eventually became the book that Bill and I finished, you know, 20 years later, called Making Money, Making Music. And I shopped that around, and then I, I kind of had a deal and didn't have a deal. And then when that fell through, then we took the me and uh, my friend Bill Current uh, put this together and, and, um, and created a magazine. In fact, just the other day, I'm on Orange Thorpe Avenue in Anaheim, and I drove by the Yamaha headquarters where I went in and pitched. And it, I think it was uh, cow I don't remember his, you may remember his name, the the guy was at Yamaha, Kawas. I don't remember his last name, Ken or something. And it's like I went in there and pitched and it's like if there was like three companies that like believed in it. And if they hadn't, a, like I went in and had this stupid demo, it was so embarrassing, I think back at it now. And I went to this guy's <laughs> office and I, you know, I had a pitch and it's like if those three companies... Yamaha. And I don't remember what the other two were, but um, if they hadn't done it, then it wouldn't have fall. It would have fallen, flattened its face, right away. Well, there was the other thing. I had actually worked in Hollywood for mm-hmm. magazines. There was a magazine called On Location. I worked for a music video magazine called Optic Music, optic, me, optical, me, optic music. You know, kind of startups and some other. So it wasn't like I just started a magazine out of the blue. I had worked you know, in the industry. I'd written for Mix Magazine. I'd written for Recording Engineer and Producer. So, I kind of knew and I, not that I had a big name, but I wasn't just, I wasn't like just totally out of the blue. I had, I kind of knew, I knew there was a niche between the professional recording magazines and the consumer magazines from a, from a positioning standpoint. And that's why when I went in and said that was the pitch, it's like there's all this high-end stuff, and then, but there's nothing for, like, the working musician. And that's what, run, you know, what worked. And I, you know, year, not a few years later, I used the same model to launch my second magazine, which was for recreational hockey players. It's the same exact pitch, you know. It's just for a different niche.
1: Right. Well, so that's how you mentioned that.
2: And then the yeah, third magazine was a hockey know, players who play
0: guitar. No just kidding.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's Sorry, more than you think. then, no. oh. um, but I, I, you know, you mentioned the uh, uh, if a couple of companies hadn't gotten behind it, and you know, I remember the early days of gig, and you know, we we'd get a new advertiser; it was a big deal. Um, but I don't think in in this a you know everything's online now and the cost of starting a new publication or whatever is basically almost zero um, and at this point in time, but that wasn't the case back then. I mean the money was a big deal. No it was, it was a lot bitter, of money in the Yeah,
2: and the backers were Wally Hunt and a few others, uh, were very instrumental in, in helping it and, and keeping it going. you know it, it was uh, I, I, again, you you as you grow older you you realize you know uh, the help that you had along the way that you've been you know you, you're blessed with for a variety for a variety of reasons, including you know people like herb Schiff who decided to take a chance and rep the magazine. you know um, people like that and yep. some others. You know, and so you you uh, you know you realize you get a lot of help along the way. But at the core of that was a community of musicians that you know that subscribed and and kind of got it. And there's like Scott and and then the writers and so forth. I love you know?
3: that magazine, Bill. Miller yeah. I I preach about that magazine whenever I can. That well, was I swear to God, that was the Bible. <clears throat> for me for many many years yeah. in in many different bands that I had and I bra- brainwashed people to, and I, I would Xerox copies of the magazine and give them the pages that we, I wanted them to read. Well,
0: well, and there's your downfall, right there, Scott was pirating it. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> if you need an autographed copy, I know a guy. But uh, apparently, Scott was the downfall, so he probably won't get that. I time.
3: have all the copies I saved. Because uh, when I subscribed, I, as you, many times as I could subscribe, I subscribed and I saved every great. single issue, and they're in my office upstairs. Yeah.
2: Well, you might. Your collection might be better than mine. Well, um, when I started at BYU, you know, 20 years ago, uh, that like the director of the commercial music program, like tracked me down. He was like, you're, you're the guy that has gig magazine. I like, that's like the Bible, you know, it was really kind of fun <laughs> that this random guy that I didn't know. Um, and every once in a while, I do run into people that, who, you know, do remember it.
0: Do, do you remember who tracked you down? Cause I was in that program originally.
2: Well, yeah, it was, uh, oh my gosh, you're going to put me on the spot here. Um, I'll, I'll remember it's, well, if you were in the program, you you should remember his name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, I was going to follow that question up with, uh, with all your time at BYU, what is your favorite thesis you've ever had to work with?
2: Well, back in the, (laughs) back in the day, there was a student who wanted to look how, to see how, uh how the gamification of playing guitar could help a a guitar company market their products.
0: A guitar hero and rock band—that would be correct. That's that was correct, the correct Yeah. Hey, just for people who don't know this, um, uh, Quint was on my thesis committee in graduate school, and he—that is where the connection to Bill came about because Bill was working with Live to Play, and they were That's trying to figure right. out how to move online from print, and we're kind of looking for like a unpaid intern for some help, um, and uh, Quint introduced us. So there you go.
1: Yep. Quint. Quint called me up and said, "I've got this guy." He's one of my students, and he's a good writer, and he wants to do some stuff that's music-oriented, and yeah. uh, and that's where it started.
0: And and then Scott and I had to share bunk beds at NAM. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: whole story. Yeah, right?
1: Exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> We're not, I'm well, going to live that one down. Uh. Now, no, I'm waiting to do thing thing I, it
2: again. I, I mean, the other thing <laughs> I want to point out is just the whole, what's so funny about this is you guys are. I have to make a confession here about cuz you guys are kind of gearheads and I have never been a gearhead. I I had the opportunity to learn how to be a recording engineer, you know, with my brother and it just bores it bores me to death. Uh, all that studio stuff just bores me to death. Gear bores me. So you go to the, you know, when I was working for Mix and even when <coughs> we were gig, it's like I go around I can say this now at these trade shows. You go around, and it's like, hey, we've got the Frabber Snabber, Snabber, and the new Frabber Snapper Snabber, And I just want to, like... And I did my best. I did my best. I mean, I don't even like guitar gear. It's like, I'm like, I have one bass, I have one guitar, one electric, one acoustic, and it's like, I'm just... They're like, I'm just not into... Like, the whole, you know, I can barely run a a comp compressor limiter, you know?
1: (laughs) I'm exaggerating a little
2: bit. But, I mean, I can run Pro Tools and, you know, enough to do a demo. I'm just like, it's just that whole thing, just like I don't get it. It's almost as foreign as music is to me.
0: So, (laughs) the, the funny thing with this the funny thing with this is uh, back for Christmas last year I got myself a Hoffner bass uh, one of Paul yeah. McCartney Hoffner violin basses and and Quint's been playing Hoffners for quite a while in his band and so of course I had to text him and I was super excited because I went and found the Labella uh, flatwounds that Paul McCartney uses that they make specifically for him and I was like <laughs> Quint I found these strings what, what do you use on yours and he's like I don't know if that's my brother <laughs> so, <laughs> my bro- so there you go My that, brother. I, I can yeah. attest to that's, that's true
2: <laughs> my, my middle brother Mark well he had I don't know what I don't know if he sent me he told me to get whatever the flat one, uh, round wounds I can't remember but yes I, I am <laughs> it's so funny because um, I call they're not those but anyways so that's my big confession I'd like to make um, on the show tonight is that yes I can run a, a mixer and you know run this this way and but you know anything beyond that I'm just like I just like it's the music kind of a thing
0: <laughs> well, I, I guess we can just like we just kill the recording because everything's yeah. over we don't have anything to talk about it's now it's like so. the show you guys actually are
2: curious. looking at me like I like, like killed the cat
0: <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm actually I, I'm, I'm actually curious about uh, so what you're doing with your band now which by the way I believe you're playing in my farm town this weekend if I'm not wrong I am playing so I in like, Spanish Fark. My, my farm town. Spanish Fark. Okay, there you yes.
2: Know. Yeah, we're playing in Spanish Fark. Anyway, Spanish yeah, how, how,
0: did, how did that all come about?
2: Well, um, when I moved to Utah and started teaching at BYU, I had, well, let me, uh, it, uh, you know, we are talking about pain earlier. I have to point out here that I did stop playing guitar. I didn't touch, barely touched my Rickenbacker for about eight years because of, some surgery I had on my hands and my arms kind of went out on me so I, I literally my arms hurt to play um, but anyways I started when I was back in Michigan getting my PhD I started writing again after about or really writing in earnest really writing and studying the songwriting as a as truly as an artist and studying you know, song form and, and songwriting theory more from a Nashville perspective. Um, and just because that's where the storytelling, you know, was was is based a lot of it nowadays. And so, um, you know, I've been to Nashville a few times uh, while I was living in Michigan and starting to, you know, write and pitch songs and stuff like that. So when I moved to Utah, I found um, I found a guy uh, named Jeff Hinton on the internet, uh, just and it was like, man, this guy can sing, like really sing. He's kind of sounds like a cross between John Denver and James Taylor. And uh, and I just called him up, and I said, and he had actually written a little book about songwriting, and so here I was, someone who had been a music entrepreneur, and, here, and he had kind of, it's like, here's a guy who wrote a booklet on how to write a song or whatever, and so we kind of hit it off and started writing, and then we started pitching to some of the the Christian, uh, we did some demos and started pitching to some of the Christian labels um, in Utah, the local kind of quasi, semi-gospel Christian labels, and got signed, you know, it was just, it was just like a side hustle, which it still is, and I'm just saying, and so then that led to, you know, my brother-in-law who I played, um, you know, in, in bands with on and off uh, since I was in, or when I was in college, Jim Hollister, and then Ron Saltmarsh, we hired to uh, do strings on our first album, and he's, he had been in Nashville and lived there for 10 years um, and had a track record, and so he kind of ended up in the band, and so it's the four of us. So we've done seven albums now over the last 17 years or something like that, and we, we gig out a lot and uh, we just you know no one's buying CDs anymore well that's we can talk about the business of music I would love Mm -hmm. to talk about that because that's fascinating but you know for example we used to do we could do up to you know anywhere between eight to twelve hundred dollars in CD sales at a gig and just wow. you know, that's really have, good. We, yeah, it really. I mean, we like. Lit- I mean, and this isn't a gig with fifty people at it. This is a gig with like three hundred people at it, right? Uh, if not more. You know, outdoor summer concert is what we tend to do. But we we've done. You know, we our highest CD sales were was about twelve hundred dollars, and a good night was eight or nine hundred. Um, you know, and now we do. You know $200 you know and we skew to older audience you know or we skew older but you know and then we make you and know, if hardly you skew older off. that $200 would be 25 cents well, right exactly and you know but at the same time it's been replaced by you know $50 on streaming so that's what I think sad about you know not that uh, you know we've we played the social media game or the digital game correctly i'm just saying we had a model that could reproduce itself where we could earn money you know over and above the gigging and but we would put money away and then we would generate money to produce our new albums you know and granted we're doing in home studios and stuff like that but but still there was there was significant you know significant costs involved um, the first four our first four albums we were signed to a label um, but then as you know as things went on it was like the label was like well we're we're not making money off cds anyway either you know so I just think that's what's it's you know other people have taken advantage I mean I think the same amount of money is out there it's just shifting around but I just think that's kind of a bummer um, where now it's like you know we used to we just have to charge more, and we have, we do fewer gigs just because we can't, uh, you know, we can't make the money or a little bit of the money on the back end on CD <coughs> sales like we used to. So that's that's well, What you just said about the
1: uh, about the money shifting around, I think yeah. is really right. You know, I mean, and and the way it's shifted around though. Is it's concentrated at the upper end? It's, yes, that's. You know, I read it, it, a thing one time. It's it, like, like point point one percent of of the artists are making ninety percent of the money. Yes, and everybody else, you know, by by the time you get down to the lower fifty yeah. percent, they're making nothing.
2: Yes, and and that's and that's why a lot of the musicians who for a period of time, we're in bands, and I'm talking about the local musician, you know, who's earning a living. And now a lot of those types, uh, even the, well, the, you know, it's had an effect in the studio as well, because, you know, people <coughs> are recording at home. So the, the the number of studio musicians required, you know, aren't, and that's tied into sampling and all that kind of stuff, you know, and sampling instruments. But the point is is a lot of those guys who used to make a living as a studio musician sats live player and I'm not talking about the big time people I'm talking about the local you know independent musician they have to you know they're these they're guys like teaching lessons and you go my gosh that guy you know you go wow this person's teaching lessons again I know someone that's touring with now this someone's doing it more for fun but this guy's like literally touring the world with a major act and he's teaching lessons, just, well, mostly for fun, but, but, you know, it's just an interesting market. So, which is one of the reasons, you know, people like us have day jobs. (laughs) Well, you know,
0: it's, it's interesting you say that because, uh, I have a good friend down in Vegas, uh, who started taking guitar lessons from a guy who was a touring guitarist for LA guns for like 20 years. Um, so Toward the World was endorsed by BC Rich all kinds of stuff and uh, now he's teaching lessons in Vegas you know and he still does a bunch of studio work down at LA like he'll go down and do stuff for people and whatnot but yeah that's kind of how he makes sense to me is teaching lessons where it's for like 20 years he was playing in a huge rock band all over the world
2: you've had to you know broaden your broaden what you do to survive and that's part of and I'll put a you know plug in for my other you know it's in some ways it's it's been very um you know gig magazine was very kind of emotionally fulfilling but almost more so was when uh, with my brother and another partner todd Sorensen, we started our drum loop company um you know back in about 2005 and went you know and and technology's changed and it's you know that's not selling like it used to but it's just fun to, for a period of time to have you know we had like and again, I apologize for not being able to rattle off names, but you know, Grammy-winning producers and you know, people like Randy Bachman, you know, buying our stuff and calling us up, and you know, we go backstage. We, you know, we, I went backstage of you, with YouTube because one of their um, side people like used our stuff, and you know, and and I've had people call me up and say, you know, this this product really helped me write these songs, and. So Gig Magazine was really fulfilling but this like in a different way having uh, drums on demand which came from my own songwriting was like I I don't like right I hate drum machines I remember I said I hated technology I need something really simple I want something I can just drag and drop and make a drum track and for my songwriting and that's what we did and it, you know it went on to you know, we've, we've, you know, grossed millions of dollars uh, over a period of time as a side hustle. So that's been a fun, you know, I'm trying to relate this back to the whole like being a musician or being a part-time musician or being a semi-professional musician and, and having to, um, you know, expand, you know, what you do. And that's kind of what I did. Because I knew I wasn't, I, and I think part of being a musician is knowing what your capabilities are and what you can do and not being, you know, like a clueless American Idol contestant. But knowing what your capabilities are, but still having a dream of being involved, you know, in in an industry that maybe you're not good enough to be at the top, um, but you can still enjoy being a part of it. And so that's what was really cool uh. about about having both Gig Magazine and Drums on Demand and Joshua Creek, in a way,
1: you know. But um, it, it, I think it's about finding a niche, um, and that's right. what you really excel at. Um, you know, Gig Magazine was about finding a that niche. Um, the hockey player was about finding that niche. Drums right. on Demand, to me, was the same kind of thing. Cause yes. At that time, I mean now there's companies like Yurt rock and things like that that do the same kinds of things. And they have huge, huge libraries and things like that. But that didn't even exist when you guys were doing that, that whole drag and drop, you know, this is a bird. Yeah. is the for us. These are bridges.
2: Here's Phil yeah. and being able to drag and drop that stuff and make it work. It didn't exist. You no, know, it didn't. And we, and we spent $18,000 to get a patent and you know, who, who knows what we'll do with that. But, but it, it's, um, <laughs> You know, we were doing it as a side hustle. You know, if if, you know, other people have done it full time, and you know, when you do something as a side hustle, you can't you can't focus on it like you need to. You know, but I am amazed, kind of 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 kind of the market out there. I'm still kind of scratching my head, but have other priorities as well. But it's it's uh, you know, again, I could rattle off you know some other. It's just the emotional payoffs. You know, there's the monetary payoffs, but you know the emotional payoffs. Um, you know, just fun, just fun stuff like the guys in sticks. A couple of them were using them, and you know, just to be able to go backstage and, you know, we, the people that you admired because this is these are old guys. You know, people that you admired as a kid. You know that you, that you got to just help in some little way. You know, that's that doesn't get any better than that, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. That's that's a huge thing, you know. The, having somebody that you looked up to tell you that that's something you've done um, affected them in some way, shape, or form is um, yeah, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, that's really fun. And and uh, the, the other thing, well. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, that again, full circle with me as a teacher, as a faculty and and teaching, uh, you know, journalism and marketing and advertising. It's that's just it's kind of comes full circle to inspire um, younger, younger people, uh, you know, or help people, you know, finish their master's thesis.
0: (laughs) Some of those young people are starting to get kind of old now but there's still the middle-aged guy in the, in the call. No, I was, I was going to say, <clears throat> I think, uh, Quinn has some really good advice there with like understanding your limitations and understanding, like, you know, looking for like what your skill level is, say with music or whatever, and, and finding a way to use that in a way to, to make a career, make a side hustle or whatever. <clears throat> and the, uh, the piece I was kind of laughing about there as you were saying that is, I think the advice I got from my dad who, uh, you know, tried to work in the music industry in like the mid seventies and whatnot was, uh, you're not going to be good enough to be a rock star, so go do something else and get a real job so you can buy lots of fun gear. Yeah. Um, and that was well, kind that's... of the path that I went down.
2: <laughs> but, right. But it was this kind is... of funny because,
0: you know, well, I was just going to say, it was it was really, for me, and once again, going back to grad school with Quint and kind of learning about drums on demand and things like that, um, and getting introduced to Bill, where I kind of had that realization of like, yeah, I'm probably not going to be a rock star, but I can review gear. I can do videos on gear. I can... Now today, with Bill and Scott, put together a video or a podcast, or I don't know what we do, but do, I can talk about is. gear and record it, and we <laughs> can send it out <laughs> to <other> people. <laughs> but there, there are things you can do within your limitations where you know I may just be a mediocre musician, but I can still talk about it and hopefully encourage other people to do something cool. So.
3: I have made well, a I career think... on mediocrity.
1: <laughs> that's right. <We're>, we are <laughs> <laughs> well, Yeah, Scott says that he's way better than he gives himself credit for. Oh, he... Come on. Well, that's now uh, again. I,
3: I never really cared about being rich and famous. I just always wanted to be a working musician, and so uh, it, that's, that's it. That's what I've done my entire life. My dad wanted me to be a plumber right but, you know I, I, I wasn't in the cards
2: my my uh and then and I'll just keep talking about the specialization thing or niche and it musically as time has gone on especially when you do music as a side hustle um you only have so much time you know and part of my side hustle thing is I'm just ADHD it's like I I can't just sit around and, and write so as time's gone on In my uh, musical career, I've specialized mostly becoming more of a lyricist. I mean, I still there are songs that you know I write, but most of the time, I write the lyrics for my my co-part my partner in crime, my partners in crime, and I provide you know lyrics, and then they take and write these beautiful melodies. And but sometimes I bring the melody to the table, period, or a whole song that's halfway written. But I only have so much time you know and talent and I found that like the lyrical storytelling is like what I really enjoy doing and so that's what I contribute you know and I contribute to fiddling around with video and stuff like that now but you know a lot of the musical stuff I don't you know I play like I play bass live but I'm not good enough I don't play in the studio I'm not good enough like there's a million people uh, better So than you don't me. actually play on the records? Not not lately the first few I played a little. But even the first few, I didn't play very much. I just played a guitar here or there. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the wrecking crew a little bit. Now, um, but but again, it's like uh, when you that was the other thing that I learned from Jeff when I when I started writing with him. It was like, hey, let's record. And he's like, I don't I don't play guitar in my demos. I hire people. And it was like, oh, you do that? And it was like, yeah. And it was like suddenly. I went from these hokey demos to these really killer demos and then doors started opening and so um, it, the, that just kind of focuses on go hey, you know what I'm a writer more so than a performer now live is different you know I, I can I can sing on keys I can harmonize I can do all that stuff really good um, And and I can play you know I can you know fake the bass um, but I'm not a real musician, and I've never been a real yeah uh, yeah you know garage band, uh, meaning the old version, uh, meaning of garage band, not the product, but right. you know a, a pop a pop rock you know eighties rock band where you just go you know I'm really right out now I
3: if I, for so long
2: yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I recently learned just a little little bass lick, and it's like I'm just so thrilled with myself. I can't even fetching read tab. Oh, ta- I hate tab. I'm I'm morally I, opposed I, to tab
1: know. on know. every level. You so, know? so the but funny I, thing
0: I, is, I uh, I learned to play because of tab, but it right. was like crappy online tabs because those. Started out when I was in high school, the original Olga, the online guitar archive. Uh, yeah, list, that's Olga. that's net, right, Olga. Yeah. They were like, the, the terrible tabs that people made, that, that's how I learned to play, was yeah. downloading those. I probably have um, in a box somewhere down here. Like, they used to give us like an allotment like of paper of- in the uh, high school library, <laughs> and I would go and use my allotment every term and just printing off crappy tabs off the internet. I probably still have some here somewhere.
3: <laughs> These are my charts now. I can't even uh, see. It.
0: I see a bunch of white. I can't remember anything now. I, I, I have seen
1: Scott's charts. Scott and I have played, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have played bands right. together,
2: and yeah, I have I seen his
1: charts, and Turn they down make the sense contrast, to him, Scott. and they
2: work really well. But 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 anyway, so nope. I think no, I'm still not going to anyway.
3: Move, I just right, my charts are just really the arrangement and then i'll write in yeah. notes to, to cue my memory oh yeah i gotta play this but if right. somebody else looks at it they'll be like oh, "Well, this is just a bunch of notes on the paper yeah. how do you play yes. this song and the, or, and i think my chart, it, my chart, you gotta know you have to know the song and then the chart makes sense
2: to yes you. and that's kind of the shorthand i've made for the originals and the few covers that we do it's like I have my own little version I make recordings of my fingers so that we do we do a Christmas show or five or six Christmas concerts every year and I, I forget all the songs and I have to I mean that's just a whole fascinating <laughs> thing you know you see these guys in concert and you know what's the story I heard Tim McGraw being interviewed and it's like they feed his lyrics through his inner through his inner ear Monitors. He has a guy telling him his lyrics. He doesn't use a, a floor monitor, you know, a, a video you, you monitor. Know, it's well,
0: it's yeah. funny you uh, mentioned Tim McGraw. We all use
2: Cypads now. I know.
0: I was going to say, uh, <laughs> say my, my uh, thing I was going to start off today's episode with, but I already talked about it with Scott for a long time, is I went to my first country concert ever, and it was Tim McGraw. My my wife made me go. Um, okay, you, okay? I actually kind of had fun, even though the sound was awful. But uh, yeah, well, he surprisingly put on a great show. So there you go. That was my uh, my new update for the week. We didn't do updates. That was my fault. Cause I kicked things off. But anyway, <laughs> there you go. We're we're up to almost the hour mark. So we're well, get, probably getting close, to, like wrapping up the next ten minutes. and Now I'm giving the update of, of well, mine. Well, I, I so. want to make sure
1: that we talk, do talk, You know, we we've talked about gig and oh. drums on demand, and right. we mentioned hockey player a little bit, and and <laughs> Quint's band. Now, for and band for a long time, Joshua Creek. But you had another
2: band. Well, I again, again, I have, to, I have to be careful, I have to be of credit. You know, I was part of a band um, that uh, was my brother Mark and then a guy named Dave Krenko who wrote all the songs or most of the songs, who's just an incredible writer. And, you know, the long, the short story there recently is, is my brother Mark was digging through some, some filing cabinets. And this was a a power pop band from the eighties, uh, kind of a, you know, we got played on the KROQ, yeah, called the Bings as in Bing, Bing Cherries, um, and uh, anyways, and we, we had a, you know, printed a 45, and then we did some other demos and did the whole shopping thing, and we were clueless, but whatever. But the songs are really fun, kind of like a uh, new wave Beach Boys is, what, uh, is another term that we used for it. Like Beach Boys with power guitars, um, big, you know, Marshall Stacks kind of a thing. And um, anyways, my brother Mark found, you know, dug up the 16-track Masters. And uh, he, we sent him, and then my, again, my middle brother's a musician. My oldest brother has a recording studio. And uh, so we, we, sent the, uh, we sent the tapes to Hollywood to have them baked and transferred to Pro Tools. And on and off over the last year and a half, we've gone into the studio with my brother and, and been mixing them. So we're going to, you know, release them to digital or release them to vinyl so it's just so fun to take these tapes that were 16 tracks from the 80s, and to remix them using today's technology, but still, you know, remain true to the original sound. And what's hilarious is that there's only fetching 16 tracks. They're so easy to mix. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like 16 tracks. How long can it take? So I've been working with my brother Long Guy, time, man. yeah and he's and he's uh, been so kind to help us out and we're supposed to finish here in the next couple of weeks but we've been saying that for months now but um, the idea is to either uh, you know depending on what's going on is is to do this vinyl, you know we never did a full true release so it's fun 45 years later um, to be working on this, these tracks, and they're, you know, again, they're very strong songs and uh, really strong harmonies. I can't remember if I sent you anything, Bill or Tim. Oh, I think I did send you a couple things. No, yeah. I, I
1: have. I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 remember you playing. Yeah, you remember the original. I, I, I think I have yeah, the of Bing's forty-five. Yeah,
2: and what's? Uh, let me tell you a funny story about that. Is you can. Uh, we find them for sale. There is a niche again. Back to the niche thing. There is people that there are people who collect weird new wave bands from the 80s on vinyl, and so we see that 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 save your. Um, if you haven't gotten written of our 45, it sells from anywhere between 50 to 75 dollars on these collector sites. Like I can go on right now and find it for sale at a collector's site Um, so it's just funny to have a band that I've had people call me up looking for like uh, we found this photo uh, where's the record and it was like well that wasn't a record you know that was just a demo tape but we've had I've had collectors contact me at at my day job looking for paraphernalia from this band not that we were famous but that is this there's this collectors of something about the 80s and California and the Sunset Strip and so we were part of that thing and so again it's just funny to, to something you were involved in that really didn't go anywhere to see people are like paying $75 for a single and I've got like seven of them in my drawer and I'm like we're gonna save it for my retirement <laughs> So that's. So, this has got so me they, wondering
0: if my dad's forty-five that he made back in the mid '70s, if it's hit worth anything. because I know he's you got that. never bunch know. Of I mean, that, that never sold. You know, I should go look into
2: right. it. You should never know. But so really, the, you know, the reflection is, is, you know, it's it's, you know, for someone who wanted to do something in music, and having some people who helped me along, I've been, been very, um, even though I never got rich. Um, per se i've been been very blessed and and have some fun you know war stories to tell and some of you've been involved in those yeah,
3: if we get to play well, music and people pass money or e- even just get to listen to us playing music that's that's
0: way well way
2: and that's way. again one of the beauties of the industry as it's changed is the barrier to entry has come down and now anyone can make music. It's like talking. It's the same things happen to journalism. You know, the journalism industry is destroyed Absolutely. because everybody yeah. can do it. It's the same. But the beauty of it, and and that's the beauty. The beauty of it, especially for gear manufacturers, is they can make this stuff, and it doesn't matter if you're famous or not. It doesn't matter. What matters is if you enjoy making music with the instruments that you've bought. That's all that matters. No, in the end, you know. When we're all dead, no one's gonna care if you were famous. It's we're in the hereafter. What let's Sam, say I'm just saying. When he, I, it's like what that's comes I with you. What
3: comes with when he edits my my stuff? I don't know how to write. Just fix it. Here you go.
2: There you go. So that's the beauty of it. Is 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 those? These are just tools for us to to express ourselves, and that's what's awesome about it. And that's why it's awesome. Clueless people can make a podcast now. People like us. Yeah, like, as the we have proven. <laughs> 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 I, I, I was going to say,
0: I, I, I think the only thing I've learned today is that my only talent in music, the music industry, is buying stuff that I don't have time to use. But um, I'm happy you guys are doing cool things.
2: There you go. Good, good summation. Well, there you go.
1: Um, well, I think that's actually a pretty good point to uh, wrap this all up, y'all. Um, so there you go. I mean, this has definitely been the most focused episode we have done yet.
2: I do a good job. I will take
0: I do full have, credit for wanna, none of that. It was all Quint.
2: <laughs> I want to add one thing. <laughs> it's like he showed have prepared. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm, I'm a good talker because that's what I do. Even though I hate gear, I do like software. I mean, I'm here in LA like doing After Effects training after many of years of knowing InDesign and Photoshop and Illustrator. I do like software. So, end of story. I don't want to uh, I don't want to uh, sound like I'm a total Luddite cuz I'm kind of the, the <laughs> software guy in some ways and I love making stuff in software. So,
3: it's above my All right. then great what was that Scott that's above my head (laughs) Um. I
1: can
3: use it I can't make it
2: exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) and and Scott does more with a, uh, a $60 copy of Reaper than I do with Twelve hundred dollars with the virtual instruments and uh, Logic and right. more plugins, and you can
0: get well. And that's that's a funny thing, Quint. I don't know if you heard. It was probably our first or second episode we did of this old guys talking about stuff. Um, but we went through like the basic setups for recording and Bill and I are both like, yeah, for like probably 200 bucks you can get started, but we have thousands of dollars invested um, in stuff that we probably don't use. And then Scott's like, I spent like 60 bucks and I do demos for, or I record in my house and I send it to people and make money. <laughs> so That's right, there you go. There is something to be said for that. <laughs> there are people Bada who be. buy and there are people who do and some of those yeah. are people who just buy stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah. There you go. Okay, gentlemen. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Um, uh, it's been fun. Um, good to talk to everybody. Great. Any to talk final to uh, words of wisdom from anybody?
0: Um, Quint, I'm going to try to come to your show this weekend, since it's like yeah. a three-minute drive from my house.
2: Yeah, come see us. It'll and be a fun show. Now I'm going to be really cloying, I'm gonna be cloying,
0: paying close attention to your bass playing to see if you play it right compared to the albums <laughs> or not. But uh, <laughs> no, yeah,
2: it's how hey, do you a, play that right? That's <laughs> a low it's a low res representation of what's on the albums. <laughs> He's faking it. No, yeah. I don't <laughs> I know oh, some people I'm in the All ballpark.
1: Right. Yeah. There you go. Okay, okay, okay. Thank so you. Um, yeah, okay, this housekeeping oh. when we when we stop the recording, Clint, don't close the window <laughs> because we have to make turpent okay. uploading. uploading. Uh,
0: I, I think you were supposed to stop, wait until we said, okay, we're done recording for this yeah, week. Yeah, I know. We're before, supposed to say it. But, hey, so. listeners, okay. welcome welcome into uh, the behind the scenes. This is where yeah, the magic right? happens. Yeah,
1: of, of using software. You can okay, gentlemen.
2: Before. Okay. See ya.
0: okay, I'm going to stop Bye. recording. Audios. Adios.